Welcome to In The News, Conversations Around Security, a new and dynamic podcast where we dissect the day's headlines through the critical lens of security risk management and where awareness meets analysis. Join us on the 1st and 15th of each month as we bring you a fresh episode packed with informative debates, expert analysis, and thought-provoking insights offering a nuanced perspective on the stories that shape our world. So buckle up and join us for a look at what's in the news, conversations around security. Welcome to In the News, conversations around security. I'm Luciano Cedroni with me, Brian Clayman, and today we have our special guest, former Deputy Chief of Durham Regional Police, uh, Chris Fernandez, also a longtime Toronto police officer, knows the city very well, where he uh, ended his career as superintendent there before moving on to Durham. We're happy to have him, excited to have him to share his perspectives and experience on what we've been talking about over the previous two episodes, which was this evolution from uh, the traditional observe and report security model that everyone knows so well um, to something more interactive, engaging, uh, whatever you want to call it. I know Brian's going to tell me it's something else because I always mess up what his perspective is. But at the end of the day, we, we think that there's a need to evolve that observe and report model into something that's more hands-on, uh, that might be that might not be the best term for it, but certainly more interactive with uh, with the potential clients that we're using. So first of all, welcome, Chris. Excited to have you on the show again. And over to you, Brian, for some opening remarks. Yeah, I must ask Luke again. I mean, last week, I think you were at C. Have you been drinking this morning? Because you really buggered up the intro again in terms of what we're talking about. But essentially... During the first two episodes, we sort of set up the uh, the changing landscape uh, in terms of uh, security and security guarding. And we introduced the concept is of the evolutionary nature of security in commercial properties. And you and I had a little bit of a domestic last week that I didn't know where this was going to end. I wasn't stating that, you know, we need to get to a certain particular point. All I said, we're starting a journey and we have to make changes. So the first two episodes, we set the background. I think I'm looking forward to this one because uh, uh, Chris is really gonna talk to us from the police point of view, uh, why response times are changing and what the uh, impact of those might be. So that those was all gonna there. come after you said hello. That's all I asked you to do was say hello. Just keep you know, it simple. <laughs> Chris, I apologize on behalf of the show. But this is what I have to put up with every week. All right, let's uh, let's get into it, Chris. Um, I think you bring a really good uh, uh, perspective because you know it's been a while since you've left policing. You've come over to the private sector, so you've experienced that journey. You've seen sort of the transition, or you've experienced the transition. So you can speak to both sides relatively, you know, with a modern mindset. I left policing friggin' almost twenty years ago, so it's a long time for me and. Brian, well, he doesn't remember yesterday, so never mind his career. Um, so welcome to the show. And what we'd like to do is open up with a question on what we're considering. You know, we all know that response times are getting worse. The city's getting worse. It's, it's busy. There's a lot of activity, not necessarily all criminal related, uh, but it all takes time. Police have to respond to all kinds of, of, of uh, concerns and, and issues out there. So what has your experience been with, um, you know, what they would call acceptable police response times and i think you're going to provide some color to what is termed acceptable uh, because i think that varies from person to person um, and i'll add on to that sort of what has been 
the response to to public safety as a result of that? What are the implications for longer and longer police times? Because I don't see them getting shorter and shorter. So I'll turn it over to you, Chris, unless, Brian, you want to add something to that? Nope, nope. Oh, thanks, Luciano. Thanks, Brian, for having me on. Um, what I've seen, and even in my days of policing, is that, um, you know, demand has gone up, right? There's been an increase in population everywhere. Um, you know, if we want to talk about specifically about Toronto, increase in crime, um, you know, people needing police, uh, but the supply hasn't gone up. The uh, increased strengths of policing services, including Toronto, um, hasn't gone up to uh, to match that demand. It hasn't gone up for many years. And the response times are going to naturally go up. Um, you know, I know when uh, I was in policing, Luciano, you as well, um, there was a lot more people on the front line on your platoon when you showed up to work. You know, there's less now because, uh, you know, executives, chiefs of police, the commanders have, um, you know, they've pivoted because with the changing nature of harm in society, guns and gangs, human trafficking, child exploitation, uh, hate crimes, uh, they've had to stand up new units and increase the numbers in those units. And, and where do those uh, people come from? They come from the front line. There's really no other alternative, right? So, um, you know, uh, my, my friend used to say, we can't just open up a new box of policemen. So it's whatever you have in your strength as you're using. And, you know, there's a lot of smart chiefs and deputy chiefs that are making those decisions about what the priority is. You know, is it getting to a call in a timely manner? Is it guns and gangs? Is it human trafficking? Well, it's all of that. And how do you manage the, that finite resources um, to meet all those demands? Uh, most police services are probably 10% plus of personnel being off long-term and short-term for uh, physical and mental reasons, right? Legitimate uh, reasons. And, and some people aren't coming back to work for a very long time. And you just can't hire into that strength because that's an, uh, a net new when it comes to police services board and, and the city. And you need approval to, you know, increase that strength. And I think the issue with that is that with uh, the economic times that we're going through right now, you know, with people uh, not being able to afford housing and food and, and everything else, to increase their taxes to, um, you know, hire more police officers above the strength that they have right now is a, is a tough sell for for police boards and for mayors, you know, um, all across all the municipalities. It's, it's difficult times. People need the police, they're calling, and the police just aren't coming in a timely fashion any, anymore. So, you know, Chris, uh, everything you said is right. A lot of people will initially get angry with the police and wondering where are they, but there's a lot of factors uh, that influence police response time, as you indicated. Are there things that can be done short of, you know, increasing taxes and hiring more uh, policemen like i think of sir robert peel saying that you know the police are the community and the community are the police and i know that when you were with toronto you were very involved in community engagement type activities are there things you know crime's not going away disorder's not going away it's on the rise policing uh, resources are being strapped what are things that chiefs can do that are innovative you think to address this what's going to uh, drive change uh uh, they're doing a lot of that right now, Brian. I think when it, there's there's online reporting portals for certain crimes where it's not a priority one or priority two call where you can, you know, report, uh, you know, damage to your property, damage to your vehicle, you know, on an online portal that will get investigated that will go to an investigative unit. So, so you don't need a police officer uh, attending that particular call. Um, you know, there's great training for the call takers and, and the communicators that are... You know, um, not just prioritizing the call, but triaging that call and see if there's a way that they can filter it into, uh, you know, a, 
a social service, uh, a, a mental health uh, service, uh, some other service where that person doesn't necessarily need to see, you know, that police officer come to their house or, or their place of business. So there's there's a lot of different um, ways that the chiefs are addressing it. But uh, again, it's just having those human resources available to go when you do need them to go, right? I know in Toronto, I don't think it's, uh, you know, that uh, the community response units, um, for the most part, are gone. And those, many of those folks have gone back to the front line to, you know, to answer calls for service. So um, I think that's probably helped Toronto in, in reducing some of their response times. Um, but now what it's taken away from is that proactive policing, the neighborhood policing, you know, the bike officer that's in your neighborhood that's getting to know you as a business owner, getting to know the citizens, getting to know, you know, the bad guys. Uh, that's not, it's now reactive. So will that increase crime? Yes. If you're not stopping a crime from happening by being proactive, it's going to increase crime, which is, will increase calls for service. So, um, you know, there's a lot of issues that these these executives, these chiefs are dealing with right now, and there's no, um, you know, easy answer for it. You just have to keep um, trying to do better and, and prioritizing where you need your finite number of police officers. Oh, sorry, look, I just want to say this, and I think it dovetails into where I think you're going is, but a lot of people uh, believe, you know, like they get frustrated because the response is longer than what they think is acceptable. When the police officer finally gets there, they may not like their attitude or the decisions they make. Can you sort of talk a little bit about, you know, uh, the perception of the public and their expectations and what the police officer's life is it, like? It's like, not easy being a police officer in Toronto or in any of the GTA forces. You're going from call to call to call to call. You don't have time for lunch. You're taking, you're doing a lot of good work. You're taking a lot of abuse. Is that part of why sometimes people aren't happy with what they see? I know Luke, you were talking about where your organization called for police and then the response is relatively good, but the the reception that your security guards had with the police officers wasn't what you would have expected. Yeah, yeah. I'll just keep it short. First, first of all, I agree, Crystal. I mean, they are looking at other ways to expedite response and uh, leverage technology to decrease the needs for you know the people to actually show up. Uh, I know all our videos now when they come when they need a video request for our cameras, whether it's our incident or not. Um, you used to have to come and attend in person, pick up a USB drive, takes time, takes effort. Now they've got a portal. We just upload our video after they give us a formal request. Right. The way it goes. So those types of things are certainly happening. Um, and so where I was going, and and it, um, yeah, there's there, there's certainly challenges with some of the responses we're getting from from officers, and whether they're just over overextended, they're frustrated, they're stressed, whatever it is, at the end of the day, it creates a negative image, if, if you will, in terms of what to expect when the police show up. And then that has a detrimental impact on the morale of, you know, supporting guards and, and the community starts to get wind of that. So that's just an ugly situation altogether. Um, and I'll give you a couple of quick examples. I remember one, one situation where a guard uh, was arresting a guy, the guy was continually spitting on him, um, police show up, Ah, let's walk, you know, let's let's let him go type thing. He's not going to happen. It's not going to amount to anything. And then as he's walking out the door, spits on the police officer, and all of a sudden it's an arrest, right? So that type of thing is, to me, unacceptable. Either it is or it isn't a, a, an offense and treat it the same. Um, otherwise, you're discounting what the guard experiences and what they do. Um, and, and something a little more serious would be, a, you know, it's not the first time it's happened to me, and, I, and I've taken these off, those officers, in terms of their response when, um, it, it's a type of a robbery, whether it be a knife or a shift or whatever it is, and nobody gets hurt. Um, 
But in one case, I remember talking to to the client, basically asking her to report it to police because the previous three times she refused to because nothing would happen. She finally reports it to police. Officers show up and say, well, it's not really a robbery and sort of defeated the whole work that we did together to say, like, like we have to report it. Otherwise, they don't know about it. And it looks like nothing's happening. So that's one of the equations to Brian's point. Why? How can we address that with, with, the, with the attitude or, or the morale? Um, and the second piece would be, how can private security, because we are talking about private security at the end of the day, is there a gap there between what the police can deliver, what public safety demands? Can security, private security, fill that gap at some level? And what would it take to do that? Yeah, so, you know, just from the lens of policing, uh, you know, we always preach and, and to have a value system of treating people with dignity and respect, right? You know, that complainant, that victim that's called the police, you know, their stress, their fear for their safety, they're in crisis. So people are calling the police when they're in crisis. They're not calling during other times, right? So when an officer comes, they have an expectation of how they're going to be treated, right? And they want to be treated you know, like a victim, they want someone to listen to them, they want someone to help them resolve whatever that issue is. Um, you know, as Brian alluded to, uh, police officers are working 11, 12 hour shifts. They're not getting a break, the frontline officers, they're not getting a break, they're not getting their lunch break, um, which not is just a physical break from everything, but it's also a mental break. You know, many shifts are coming in um, to work and there are already uh, dozens of calls on the board that needs to be answered to, right? That the previous shift uh, just couldn't do it, just didn't have the resources to do it. So you're you're always under stress from your supervisors, your sergeants and your staff sergeants to clear the calls so you can move to the next call to get them off the board, to get to another, you know, priority one or priority call. So when it comes to those arrests, I think again, uh, some police officers might be triaging that situation, Luciana, when it comes to, you know, if they arrest someone for spitting on a guard, which I believe that they should, you know, and and, and charge that person because um, that's a pretty heinous act in, in, in my eyes. You know, that takes those officers off the road potentially for a couple hours, um, you know, working through that arrest, the paperwork, working with the detective office, whatever they need to do. Even if it's a re release on scene, they're still doing paperwork and follow up. So uh, that takes them away from jumping on the next call. So I can understand some scenarios where they're thinking, you know, walking someone out of a, a, a building might be the best. Uh, I'm not saying it's right, but I'm just saying that sometimes that's how, you know, they see that. You know, unfortunately, you're going to have officers showing up that have had a bad day, that have had a bad week, that are stressed. You know, we have to worry about the burnout of these uh, men and women that are doing this job every day, because like I said, that 10 plus percent of folks that are off, civilians and, and police officers, communicators and police officers, will continue to grow as officers are burning out. Um, so, you know, chiefs and their and the commanders and, you know, the senior officers have to manage um, how those officers are, their workload, their mental and, and physical stress when it comes to that. In the perfect world, it'd be great to have officers showing up with a smile on their face and doing what, exactly what you want them to do every time, but it just doesn't work that way. And, and sometimes they know the legislation well and what is right and wrong and what they should do. And, and sometimes you know, a little apathy creeps in about knowing you arrest that person for assault for spitting, um, you know, on, on a guard. And then when it comes to court, the resolution is, uh, you know, discharge or something that really doesn't hold that person accountable for the act they committed. So it's a lot of those issues, I think. Yeah. that 100% agree there, Chris. Uh, yeah. I, I don't want to get into the justice system, but yeah, for yeah. sure. That would pay, that would be another six, seven episodes just talking about <laughs>
right. that issue. Over to you, Brian. Yeah. So just uh, and the second part of that quickly, Luciano, is that um, I think there is a gap there. And I think that's where that private security industry uh, needs to evolve. And I, I think you you guys have talked about that probably in the previous episodes and moving forward episodes is that, you know, I think we have to bring a higher level of professionalism to the security industry when it comes to better pay, better training, better equipment so that we give these uh, good folks that are in this industry the tools that they need and the backing and the support that they need to do their jobs uh, well. Um, you know, the days when the police aren't are taking a long time to come or they're not coming at all. And how do they manage that, you know, with the legislation that doesn't really support them right now when it comes to their, um, they virtually they're, um, they have the citizen's powers of arrest under the criminal code, right? As any other citizen, they don't have any higher level of power. Um, you know, they can enforce a trespass to property act uh, as an agent for that property, but so can any, any other citizen, right? So I think we have to look at all of that and how do we raise the level of the industry so we can fill a bit of that gap um, when it comes to, um, you know, that lack of police response that we've been talking about. So you sort of stole my question, but you answered it really well. So we are, you, you, what I was going to ask is, and the reality of policing is overstrapped and the cavalry is not going to come the way we would expect them to come. What does the private sector do to protect their assets and everything? And you talked about what the guards, you know, we got to train the guards and we got to give them proper compensation. What role, Chris, does the regulator have? You know, in, in Ontario, in most jurisdictions in Canada, it's the provincial governments that regulate security guards. If the police are going to be focusing on, and they and I, and I want the police folks on a party one, you know, the important types of work. If we have security guards right now arresting people, the way the legislation is, they're stuck with them till the police come to process them. They can't let them go. It's against the law to let them go. So where do you see the solution? Is it the industry working with government, working with the regulators to change the laws? How do you see this playing out? Because for sure, things aren't getting better. You know, resources are more and more uh, scarce. And irrespective of the problems the Toronto Police have or York Police have or the city has with budgets, the operator of the shopping mall has to make sure that the uh, the mall is protected and the people who visit are safe with or without the police. So I think it's uh, it's everyone that you spoke about the uh, the le you know the legislators, the government, the uh, registrar that you know that in you know Ontario that created the act in two thousand five, the Security Services Private Investigation Act that really hasn't evolved um, you know in coming up on twenty years now. And I think uh, we as security professionals have to. Um, you know, leverage our group and advocate for those changes. And I think uh, I think they'd be open to, you know, what the right things to do are and how we can uh, change that, you know, change the legislation to help the guards, you know, and help uh, property management companies do their job and protect their their buildings and their, you know, the people in those buildings. Looking at all uh, facets and bringing everyone to the table and, and seeing how we can change how things are 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 being done right now in, in, in with the act and the legislation and, and really the lack of um, things, tools that the guards have right now that they could use, right? Some jurisdictions, police jurisdictions have gone to uh, being able to release, um, you know, people over the phone, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. uh, once they're not wanted for anything and things like that, some jurisdictions have gone to that and it's worked. But the, the issue is that if you wanted that person charged, now you're going to have to go lay a private information you know, as a, as a guard uh, to get that person charged or whatever you've arrested them for, right? So, um, 
you know, that that poses another issue. But right now, as you said, Brian, um, you know, you arrest someone, you're you're responsible to turn them over to the police forthwith. And if the police aren't coming forthwith, then you're now looking at some, you know, another liability of of uh, a duty of care of now looking after babysitting that person under arrest for, you know, and we've heard stories of hours upon hours of waiting for the police to respond. So, you know, there's no easy answer, but I think um, we have to make changes. Like this is the time we're, we're behind times. We need to change. As we talked about with the changing times, the vulnerable population keeps increasing, um, you know, an alarming rate, you know, homeless addictions, mental health, you know, those folks are looking for places to go. And a lot of times they're, you know, their malls, their retail places that stay warm and, and things like that. And guards are having to deal with those issues more and more. And sometimes there are some dangerous situations that they're uh, dealing with when it comes to um, some of those issues that they have to face. You know, I, I think we need to take a holistic approach to crime and disorder management. And I know that in many respects we are, we've got now, you know, I read, we all read about the police working with different men, mental health agencies and different agencies so it's a holistic approach of not just the police but social services and others i think the next step in the evolution of security guards in moving from the observing report model to perhaps a more intervention type model they have to be included in that conversation as part of that holistic response and i don't see that on the horizon i don't see any of the planners that are sort of trying to manage this situation looking at security as a resource that we tapped into. And to your point, I mean, we changes would have to be made. I mean, guard training and selection uh, of guards uh, and competencies would have to change. Compensation would have to change so we can get the right type of people. But I really think that's a resource. There's thousands and thousands of guards across Canada that want to do the job, you know, but there's just no place for them. And I think that's sort of the next step of that uh, holistic approach to what the future is going to look like. I'm the first to admit, you know, a lot of security officers or a lot of security guards are in this industry, not because they want to be policemen, not because this is their profession. It's a way to make some money to go to school. But there has to be an understanding with the industry that it's a, a, a potentially dangerous profession. We've had several guards murdered and many more injured in the last 12 months, and that has never happened before. And we're, you know, unless we change the way we uh, attract guards and train guards and compensate guards, this this carnage, these threats are going to materialize. But I just want to end off by saying I really think that the guards are part of the solution. I just don't think anyone in a leadership role in government, in, in senior police positions, are looking at how can we exploit those guards, put them as part of our response for the greater good. Thanks for that, Brian. I'm going to add, just before we close off, um, because I think it's important that you, you know people are made aware that I have had the opportunity to um, engage with government over the last week. In fact, and actually, I'm meeting them again this week to talk more about the private uh, security guard business and and where it needs to go, how to get there. I was pleasantly surprised, as you know. I mean, I'm just as much a government basher as, as the next guy, um, but they were certainly saying the right things. They're looking at all types of opportunities in terms of how to protect the guard better, uh, whether it be, you know, special constable status or some kind of legislation that says, you know, they're, they're doing more than just the average citizen. We expect them to do more than the average citizen. So they should have some, some type of protection. What that looks like, they don't know yet. Um, they've talked about, or they're talking about tiered training. They're talking about all kinds of great ideas. Um, so that was refreshing to see. 
the public sector people actually engage. They say they're engaged with a bunch of other, you know, the industry, the contractors. Um, and that was the first time they were meeting with us, the client side. So, you know, it is happening. That was great to see. It's good news. Uh, the only caveat I would put to that is, you know, as Chris pointed out, 2005, here we are almost 20 years later, and we're just starting to relook at the legislation. So I think they're a little bit behind the uh, the eight ball in terms of timing, but at least the discussion is starting to be had through venues like, you know, like this, like our show, we, we, we want to table it to stir the discussion um, and it's happening in the industry. But to your point, Brian, the leadership needs to be there. And I think the leadership needs to be there across all those stakeholders. It can't be just one person. It can't be just the government driving. It can't be just the police driving. It can't be just private sector security. Everybody needs the right leadership at the right time to drive this home. And that's going to be the big challenge, I think, going forward. Um, so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Chris, um, our guest, for any final thoughts, closing comments, and then over to Brian before I sign off. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm going to be short with this, Luciano and, and Ryan, but uh, just to your point, Luch, um, you know, when you want to, you're engaging the police, I think what you have to bring to that table is to uh, show them what's in it for them. How does uh, enhancing, evolving the security industry um, help them? And obviously, there's a lot of good ways that it will help the police when it comes to, as we've talked about the last uh, number of minutes and response times and things like that. So I think it's, there's so many stakeholders out there for the police and, and government to engage. And how do we get that priority? You know, how do we get priority, get to that table in a timely manner and change the legislation and, and change things to make the industry better now? I think it's um, showing them what, how we can help them in, in this evolution. Right. Yeah, I, I agree entirely, Chris. I mean, it's got to be mutually beneficial for the parties. It's got to make everyone's life a little bit easier. And I think we have to be, if we can articulate that, that's sort of half the battle. You know, in life, and uh, I've realized that uh, when you're working on a problem, it, if you do it yourself versus working with a team, it's a lot harder to achieve anything when you're on your own. But if you get all the right stakeholders around the room, uh, and if you're focused in the right direction, you can make uh, 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 difficult problems go away. And I think that's what we have to look at. We have to look at what's happening holistically. Look at it. It's not a police problem. It's not a security guard problem. It's not a mental health problem. It's a whole bunch of things happening at the same time. we got to get people looking at it like that and looking at, uh, looking at it with a different set of eyes. You know, the old ways, certainly in the security guard world, aren't working anymore. So we have to evolve. Let's leave it at that. It's a good way to close off this episode. Uh, we'll be on to number four, obviously, January 15th. This will air on January 1st. So happy new year to everyone. All the best in 2024. Hopefully a safer and more secure world. I don't I don't believe that, but I got to say it in hopes that it comes true. Um, so with that, happy new year to both of you gentlemen as well. Thank you, Chris, for being on the show. Anyone who wants to know more about Chris's background, we're going to post his bio on uh the brianclayman.com website. And we ask that you, if you like the show, like and subscribe to our channel and uh, comment if you can. That'd be great. We'd love to hear from our listeners. We've taken some of those comments and, and obviously, you know, we're improving the show. That's that's our ultimate aim. Um, so that's it for me. So long and we'll see you next episode. Bye everyone. Thank yep. you. Thank you.